Master Mai, good afternoon. Welcome to Man in Line today. The second of our Ramsey MHKs uh, this week on Man in Line. Laurie Hooper, MHK, Minister of the Department of Health and Social Care. So if you want to chat to Mr. Hooper about anything, well, anything in his portfolio concerning Ramsey perhaps as well, then by all means get in touch. Call 66 13 68, text 166 email studio at manxradio.com. And WhatsApp on the same number, 166-177, but you will have to put uh, us in your friends. And contacts it is. Uh, so, uh, Laurie Hooper, Mr. Hooper, good afternoon. Welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, so, uh, Laurie Hooper became a Ramsey Town Commissioner in 2012, is that right? That is right, yeah. Okay. How important do you think it is, or is it important, to have a grounding in local regional politics before Keys? I think it really helps. It definitely helped me. Uh, I've said that before, and I'll, I'll probably keep saying it. I think it gives you uh, some of a, an understanding of how government works, uh, and I think you see that with some people who get into the keys who haven't had some of that background. I think they're surprised um, sometimes at, at the way government does or doesn't do things that you'd expect. Uh, and obviously, as lead leader of Liberal Vanin, I remember last year you came in with Paul Wetherill to talk about Liberal Vanin. Um, uh, I mean, as by and large, there isn't a party political system in the Isle of Man. How do you square being leader of Liberal Vanin with Comin? It, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I've got a, a kind of a tiered approach to these things. So ultimately, my uh, my conscience comes first. So anything that I don't believe in, I'm certainly not going to support if it's a matter of principle. Uh, your constituency comes second, and then your party comes third. Comin, uh, I think, has to uh, just lump it with the rest of them, quite frankly. Um, so generally, the way that it works at the moment is it gives us, as a party, a voice around the table. So we are uh, in government, essentially. So you have to think of it in terms of it being a kind of, sort of coalition arrangement like you'd have in, in the UK or, or other jurisdictions. Uh, so far, it hasn't uh, come into conflict in too many areas. If I'm honest, mostly I think Comen are broadly doing what I want them to do. Um, so I think we're, we're heading in the right direction with most of it. Uh, okay, a, a note in now. This is a text in from 488. Can you ask Mr. Hooper if we here in the Isle of Man are following the UK and not allowing healthy under 50s uh, having the uh, uh, COVID jab? Uh, Manx Care's gone quiet on this. What's the situation? Uh, the situation on the island is the same as it's, it's always been in that we our vaccine programme mirrors the UK's. Uh, the public health advice is, is the same um, so ultimately we are we're, we're covered by the same scheme so we, we roll out the same kind of vaccine approach as the UK does or ha- well, that's the way we've been, we've been doing it to date at any rate I'm not aware there are any plans to change that Okay uh, here's a question in from uh, this is uh, Phyllis Phyllis who just says um, could you just separate once and for all what's the difference between the Department of Health and Social Care and Manx Care so Manx Care are the people on the ground they're the ones running uh, the health service so they run the hospitals they uh, contract the GPs they contract the dentists they uh, run the social care homes that we have Uh, they actually physically run all the facilities so they're the ones that employ all the doctors and all the nurses what we do as a department is we're the uh, with our responsibilities to set the overarching strategy and policy to make sure there is funding uh, and also then to provide oversight 
sight of all of that. So when Manx Care are saying, well, we're going to deliver X number of procedures or we're going to have a waiting list of Y, it's our job to uh, set those parameters, put Manx Care in that box and then make sure that they actually do the things they are supposed to be doing. So we are, we are sort of the oversight, the regulator, the auditor um, and the policy setter. That's kind of our job in the department. And then it's up to Manx Care to go away and actually go and deliver on that. At what point do you engage with them on any granular level or any detail level? Uh, very regularly, actually. So there's a lot of two-way communication because whilst I think in a perfect world you can have a very clear, distinct separation between strategy, uh, policy and operations, I think the reality on the ground is that that is never that that straightforward. And so there's always an overlap, I think, between what is delivered on the ground and how that's delivered and then uh, where the department should be stepping in and saying, actually, this is the policy we need you to follow, this is the strategic approach, the thing we're trying to achieve. Uh, so there's a lot of overlap, which does require a lot of uh, close working. And, and in fairness, there is some tension there because the department often wants Manx Care to do things perhaps quicker or slightly differently to the way Manx Care thinks they need to be doing it. And so there is a, a grey area in the middle where I think there's always that kind of tension and that negotiation around, well, who is it that's responsible for this? And sometimes it will absolutely be Manx Care and sometimes it will be the department and sometimes it's a little bit of both. Uh, do you have regular meetings with Manx Care or are they just as and when? Oh, no, they're very regular. I meet with various members of Manx Care staff you know, it's multiple times a week, really, uh, is how often there's their engagement. M- much of it is informal. We also have quite a formal governance and oversight structure to oversee the kind of quality and safety and then the mandate performance so in terms of metrics you know, are Manx Care hitting the targets we're setting them to hit so that's a very a much more formal much more rigorous process and that is uh, again that's monthly that is very regularly scheduled and there's lots of informal contact uh, in between as well. What happens if they don't hit targets? Uh, generally uh, it's a, a multi-stage approach if they don't hit the targets or they I, I, th- I think I'd probably say if they're not making sufficient progress because the targets that we've set are quite ambitious in some areas and I think we know that the health service was starting from a very low baseline and so we don't expect I certainly don't expect them to get to these targets within 12 months within 18 months within two years some of these will take much longer Uh, where they're not making sufficient progress that's where we as a department will drill down to find out what the problem is what's stopping them from achieving these goals what is it we can do to help is it something we need to do in the department to make changes is it something we need to push Manx Care to change to to focus on Uh, and ultimately we do have the power to direct Manx Care to do things so if they are absolutely failing in their duty to deliver the department does have that reserve power that that we can legally instruct them to do certain things now we haven't had to do that in the the last year and a half i think that would be a a big escalation actually from where we're at at the moment Uh, but we do have that in the back pocket if it becomes absolutely necessary could you ever envisage a time when manx care will be sailing its own ship when all the targets have been hit and the Department of Health and Social Care will take a back seat? I think I can envisage a time where things are much better than they are now, where those targets are being more regularly hit, absolutely. Whether that allows the department to take a back seat or not, I don't think so. I think it's like with any system of audit and oversight, when it is working, you don't see it working and you think you don't need it. The moment you stop doing it is when things then tend to start drifting and start going wrong. So I think at the moment we're in that stage where we're trying to get everyone to that level and then I think the system will then it'll be responsible for holding it at that level uh, rather than uh, allowing it to slip and get worse but I think the reality is as well with healthcare things are always changing and so it's always going to be new services new targets new things we need to do uh, so I don't think it's ever going to be a, a finished product if that makes sense okay uh, so let's go to uh, Julian now hi Julian you're live with Laurie Hooper MHK hi Andy and hello Laurie hi Julian um, yeah quick one about masks 
Um, Andy, you may remember a couple of years ago, uh, we had quite a long chat about um, a meta-analysis from a Dr. Kai Kislinski in Dusseldorf, who basically said that masks made no difference and actually had a lot of harmful effects, including the N95 masks, um, in things like they weren't able to filter the tiny particles, four times the safe CO2 levels within the mask, 14 kinds of fungus and bacteria that were leading to massive increases in acne, hypercapnia, bacterial lung infections, um, and also disruption in children leading to delay in speech learning, social and health. Many children saying they felt joyless uh, when they were forced to wear masks. And just the other day, the Cochrane Review <clears throat> has just come out and said that following a study of 280,000 people, uh, they've come to the conclusion that masks make no difference whatsoever, statistically at all. Um, if anything, they made it worse, although they didn't go into the same level of detail as the Kai Kaczynski one that we talked about a couple of years ago. Um, I'm also concerned that Professor Susan Mickey, who was the lead behavioural psychologist at SAGE, who was on the television a lot saying we had to wear masks, has now moved to be a senior at the WHO, who are now trying to do a treaty that will force all member com uh, countries to abide by their diktats if they feel that there might even be a pandemic, even if there isn't actually one, but they think there might be one. So what I want to ask you, Laurie, is um, following these two big analysis, and the Cochrane Review is a huge one, uh, and it involves many um, top universities, including the University of Oxford, uh, Queensland University in Australia, uh, University of Ghent in Belgium, and numerous others. Um, will you be able to give some sort of guarantee that following these revelations, we will never have mask mandates on the island again? So I know the studies you're referring to, actually, and I was reading through an analysis of that Cochrane review quite recently, and the summary of that analysis, uh, I'll read it out to you, actually. It's, it's, it's a gentleman on Twitter has, has published this. It's quite interesting. The summary says, uh, if you go to the primary studies, so actually look at the individual studies that the Cochrane analysis is doing a meta-study of, uh, none of them support the conclusion that the meta-analysis states. Uh, and ultimately, that's the point, uh, I think. Um, so the, the, there is a lot of misinformation out there about masks, but the, the, the public health position, the advice, the actual studies support the position that they do work. They are effective. Um, I can't really comment much more than that. I'm not a, a specialist myself other than to say the evidence is, is pretty overwhelming in terms of what it says. And so if you, you've got access to that Cochrane review, I would encourage you to go and, and read through all of the studies that it is doing that meta or summary analysis of uh, and, and read the conclusions of each of those individual studies because actually sometimes that provides you with a, a much more accurate picture. I'm not entirely sure uh, how you've managed to or rather how that study manages to conclude what it does based on the, the primary underlying information from the, the actual individual studies that were done uh, but it does make for some interesting reading and so no from my perspective uh, I think we will always take the position of, of following clinical or public health advice on these matters uh, really it shouldn't be a political or a politicised issue if the science says it works we should follow the science that's what it really boils down to well, I'm looking at page two of that report that you've just mentioned, and it says wearing masks in the community probably makes little or no difference to the outcome of laboratory confirmed influenza SARS-CoV-2 compared to not wearing masks with a certainty rate of 95 percent. Harms were rarely measured and poorly reported with a very low certainty evidence. So basically what they're saying is uh, little or no difference to the outcome. 
So that's what it's saying on page two. And for anybody that's listening, if you look at Cochrane, physical interventions to interrupt or reduce the spread of respiratory viruses. Um, so I don't know. That says something to me that is, if, if they're saying a little to no difference, then look, I mean, let's put it this way. If it turns out that it is true, are we going to get a refund from the UK government that basically told everyone to get these things at a cost of, what, is it 100 million? I, I, I can assure you the Isle of Man has not spent anywhere near £100 million on masks. I have no idea where you got that figure from. Uh, I would love to have £100 million spare in the healthcare budget to fund anything, quite frankly. Uh, but again, all I can say is uh, is read the primary studies underneath. These meta-analyses quite often are, are high level. They aren't necessarily reflective of what is actually out there. So, uh, like I say, I'm not really in a position to challenge the, the scientific consensus on this. The general consensus is they, they work. Whether you like that or not is, is almost beside the point. But uh, from an Isle of Man perspective, we are at the other side, really, of the worst of the COVID pandemic. We are definitely still seeing long-term consequences, I think, of COVID. We're seeing that across the piece in, in education effects, in uh, in healthcare effects. I don't think that's ever really going to go away. It'll take us a long time to recover from that. Uh, and so whether or not, uh, if this comes back, if something similar comes back, if we're in a similar position again, we will do, I think, what what is the right thing to do, which is to turn back to the professionals, the people that spend their lives working on these things uh, and take advice from them right um yeah um, having said that there used to be a consensus that the earth was at the center of the universe with many scientists but i think they were proved wrong in the end well one quick question for you um if it turns out that this drag queen thing that happened at qe2 actually happened will you be looking into this from the um perspective of children's mental health if they're being sent out from classrooms because they are saying no i don't believe there are 73 genders only two do you think there may be some mental health issues there that might actually be worth you pursuing uh, so uh, as far as I understand it, that's being investigated by the Department of Education to establish the facts. Uh, I'm not really in, in a position to comment on, on speculation and social media comments. So I, I'm going to have to wait for the outcome of, of that investigation to see what, what really happened. Um, but ultimately, I think the broader position is if there is something for the health service to pick up as a result, we'll have to. But uh, as I said, I'm not really in a position to comment on, on that. OK. All right, Julian, thanks for calling today. We appreciate it. Uh, a note in from Keith uh, for Laurie Hooper. Ramsey Town Commissioners have increased the permit price for camping at the Murak from £30 to £100 for this season. Huge increase without any reason given as to why. Do you think this huge increase is fair considering the cost of living crisis affecting people on a low income that use the facility? That's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't think I've got a view, if I'm honest. I don't know enough about the background as to why the price would have gone up that much. Uh, it does feel like a large increase, from what you're saying. Actually, that does feel like it is a big jump. I, I would normally advocate jump uh, increase in prices to be inflationary where possible, but ultimately, I think the cost of providing a service needs to be met as far as possible from the people that are using it. So I, I can understand maybe if there is something that, that needs to happen, maybe there's some investment going on that needs to be funded. Uh, your best bet would be to speak to the commissioners about it, I believe, and I'm not sure I'm giving away any state secrets here that one of our local commissioners will be on the man in line next week. Dewan McGuinness, uh, so, lead finance uh, so commissioner. I, I would encourage you to, to ask Dewan actually that because it's a good question to ask and, and it, is a, it is definitely something that I think you'll be able to answer. Okay, uh, this is uh, Pete in Peel who just says, has the department agreed a suitable pay rise for medical staff? 
So this comes back to the question about the difference between Manx Care and the department again. So Manx Care employs uh, all of our medical staff. The vast majority of there are a handful of advisors that work for the department. Uh, so really the negotiations are on pay are between Manx Care and uh, as the employer and then the staff side, uh, obviously, as the workers. So uh, as far as I know, those negotiations are still ongoing. They are in some respects dependent on what happens in the UK because we are linked in, in many ways for, for some of our pay scales to UK conversations as well. So I, I'm not aware that's been finalised yet. Uh, but really it, it will be up to the department to support Max Care in, in whatever settlement they reach in making sure that, that that can be provided for and funded in some way. OK, well, luckily, uh, Teresa Cope's on Man in Line. Uh, next Wednesday, Teresa Cope will be on uh, with the uh, two leads of the wellbeing partnerships in the West and the North. Uh, so we can ask then Jane's with us. Hi, Jane, you're live with Laurie Hooper. Hello, good afternoon. Um, I'd just like to give some feedback, if I may, about um, a recent hospital experience that I had. Um, We hear lots of reports, um, and I know there was a report not long ago, um, which was not the best report about A&E. What happened to me was I was at the Southern 100 dinner, slipped on the dance floor and ended up dislocating my fake hip. So I was admitted to A&E and I have to say that every single member of staff um, in every department, the service was immaculate. It was a Saturday night. They were busy. Even though they were busy, they were attentive. Everything was done so efficiently. Um, And when I was anaesthetized the following day, the hip was put back in and I managed to get home after seeing the physio in the afternoon. So really it was just to say, you know, thank you to all of the staff, the staff on Ward 11, and they're doing a wonderful job from, from my experience. Well, that's, that's really good to hear. I mean, it, it is always good, I think, to give positive feedback. Quite often, especially with, with social media, you tend to just get the negativity uh, coming out. So it, it is really nice to hear that you had a, a good experience down there. If you haven't spoken to the staff already, I'd strongly suggest you do. I mean, I think they would be happy to accept any sorts of baked goods as well, is my general experience of, of hospital staff. Uh, but uh, well, it, it's really good. Well, my husband has actually written to thank them. So, yeah, all of them. So, um, so it was just to give you some positive feedback for a change. Brilliant. Thanks good, very much. Okay. Thanks, Jane. Good to hear from you. Thanks for that. Um, a note in this is uh, Texter892. We've been on the dental list for seven years. My two daughters are 10 and 7. They've never seen a dentist in 10 years, only uh, they need to see one now as soon as possible. Uh, but they've tried many solve, many re- times to resolve uh, this with no dental offer. Uh, what's the process of getting children uh, onto, the, uh, onto the dental list? So that that feels like it's a very long time. I know the waiting lists are long, uh, but n- seven years feels like far too long, actually, from, from my experience. Uh, my first port of call would be to give MCALS a call, the Manx Care Advice and Liaison Service on 642642, uh, and actually explain to them the situation. They should uh, be able to help in terms of making sure that you're on uh, the right list uh, and that if there's anything that needs to be done more immediately, they should be able to point you in the right direction. Okay, uh, Texter 488 says now, the UK average GP practice is 9,000 patients. Ramsey Group Practice has got 18,000. Dr. Allenson was on yesterday. Of course, he has no equity in uh, Ramsey Group Practice anymore, although I think he does act as a locum occasionally. Uh, Dr. Allenson said the group practice can cope with a further two housing estates being proposed and the government's got a plan to grow the population without increasing infrastructure. Do you think Ramsey needs another GP practice. 
That's a really good question, actually. Whether or not we need another practice or whether we just need more resources in our existing practice, I suppose, are, are the same question. I would think the answer to those is probably yes, um, and not just in Ramsey, actually. We've seen down in Balasala, you've seen one of the practices uh, hand their contract back. Uh, we know that there are GPs across other parts of the island who are also under, under similar pressures. It's not a Ramsey-specific issue. Uh, but yes, this is definitely something that, that needs to be looked at, and there's a massive piece of work going on inside the healthcare transformation programme which we call primary care at scale, which is basically designed to understand a bit more about how primary care is working and should be working and then how we get from where we are now to where we need to be. Uh, some of it will be uh, will be recruitment, so it will be bringing in, if we can, you know, more GPs. Some of it will be staffing practices with a broader variety of experienced staff. So I know Ramsey, for example, has a paramedic on staff now and he can do some of the stuff that maybe the GPs used to do, but it doesn't need a GP to do. Uh, there's also uh, work going on to try and figure out whether we can push demand elsewhere so are there some people seeing a GP who perhaps could simply go to the pharmacy and buy something over the counter and before anyone says it I know we have similar issues with pharmacies in Ramsey that is another thing that I'm working on um, but in principle at least that's the way the system should work is if we can make sure people are going to the right place to get the right care it takes pressure off other parts of the system where maybe they, they don't need to be there so someone else can then utilise that that facility so it, it is a really good question and I think the the short answer is yes we, we do need more resourcing in our primary care service the longer answer is is how you do that, where the money comes from, where the resource comes from, and ultimately where the staff come from. And when you start talking about staff, they are going to need somewhere to live. And ultimately, this is the key problem that we have, is we do need to grow our population because we need to bring in more medical staff. We need to bring in more teachers and more builders and more uh, e-gamers and, and everything. Uh, but they need somewhere to live. And so we need to build houses so they can come and live in them. And so it is a little bit of a catch-22 um, in terms of do you build the houses first before you have the people or do you have the people before you build the houses? I think in the real world, you can't have people without the houses. So you kind of have to, to, to build them first. But it it is absolutely about getting the infrastructure right uh, rather than trying to grow the population in, in the face of, of not doing that. So, Okay. Uh, that brings me on to um, the Volan and the proposed development. There is uh, a public consultation next Tuesday the 7th from 4 till 8 at uh, the Ramsey Town Hall. There's proposed residential development by Hartford Homes, including community, community facilities, the possible future school at the Volan. Uh, Mr Hooper, what do you think to this? Uh, so I have to be very careful not to comment on uh, planning applications because if it does need to come to the council ministers for whatever reason uh, I don't want to end up having conflicted myself by having expressed a, a previous view on whether or not it's good or bad or, or indifferent or otherwise. Uh, so all I would really say is, is what I've already said is broadly across the island I think we do need more housing uh, to make sure that there are houses for our residents to, to buy, to rent, to live in and also houses then to for the people that we know are going to be coming over to fill some of our vacancies. Uh, where those houses go, where the, where the individual developments are not is are appropriate it's not something I'm, I'm able to comment on because of my role but uh, I think in broad terms I think uh, I do sit on the housing and communities board for government as well and so I think I am quite uh, pleased to see there are developments coming forward across the island to try and meet that unmet housing need a message in from Colin <coughs> what's going on at Lloyd's pharmacy uh, that is the multi-million dollar question I think so for a long time I've been very keen to see us have uh, an extra pharmacy in Ramsey an independent pharmacy something that isn't Lloyd's because I, I do think we need that local competition uh, to try and up standards there's been a lot of work going on uh, with Manx Care and Lloyd's behind the scenes to try and stabilise the ship to try and improve the situation there are a lot of challenges part of the challenge is the simple nature of the, of the fact that they're a private firm uh, and so they operate essentially under contract uh, it's a bit more complex than that but the reality 
reality is they don't work for Manx Care. They don't work for us as the department. So they are an independent business. And so there's only so much you can do to influence their staffing practices, their uh, rotors, their everything they do in terms of supply. There's only so far mm. you can go to influence that. But uh, you must have had feedback. But, but, I mean, people are getting it in the neck, aren't they? Oh, uh, absolutely. It's, um, it's It must be really difficult actually being a staff member in Lloyd's at the moment because uh, they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. And, and let's just say, well, there's nothing against the staff. They're, 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 they're working all the time. Uh, so th- yeah. they've, been, they've been put in an invidious position. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's a fair comment. I think they're, they're stuck between patients who are struggling to access uh, much-needed medication and a system that sits behind them that perhaps isn't being as supportive as it needs to be. And it certainly isn't working very well in terms of getting those supplies through. There is a lot of work going on. I'm hoping there'll be some uh, positive announcements uh, in the very near future. I don't really have a timescale, but I'm hoping weeks or months rather than, than years, um, if I'm honest. But I, I can't really say much more because of all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. But I would like to try and reassure people that this is very high on the priority list. OK. Uh, hi, Juan. You're live with Laurie Hooper. Hey, Andy. How are you, Laurie? Hi there. Hi, Juan. Hi, mate. Um, two points. I'm just picking up on um, something. It's not the first bit. It's not what I came on about. Um, but you're picking up there on um, uh, accommodation that you need for medical staff, etc. And I heard this being um, put out um, quite some months ago about that. Um, and I made the point if, um, a few months ago on this program. I, I just finished a development in Central Douglas, um, which I thought was very suitable for for, for nurses um, in the sharing capacity um, and I actually um, contacted um, the department asking them about if they wanted that property and they said they'd find it very hard to fill that because um, the nurses wanted accommodation um, around the hospital and this is Central Douglas on, on a bus route so I just want to put that out there that you know I, I phoned up and offered it on the um, advertising that you asked for and I didn't seem to get any positive feedback. Now the, the main point that I came on about was you were talking about following the science before um, and when we look at where the science originates from likes of John Hopkins Harvard Imperial College all these other places and then we look at the sponsorship that these here places get tends to be a little bit tainted sometimes of like the, where, where they're getting the information from when the people that sponsor it are people like the Gates Foundation who have vested interests in pharmaceutical industry now, the point I'm coming to here is um, a lot of people in, in um, uh, government seem to be, and also um, mainstream media, seem to be what they call repeaters. So you repeat information rather than study um, in, in, in any depth. And I'm going on to a bill that's just been passed, RS30190 in Idaho, USA, um, which has gone through, um, being put through by Senator Roberts, um, asking for their, their government to have an in-depth study on the efficacy and safety of mRNA vaccines. Um, this is being brought about by the elephant in the room all around the world at the moment, including England, of myocarditis, blood clots, um, bleeding after um, post-vaccination um, on, on birth and menstruation um, and a substantial lack of birth rates around the world, including Switzerland at 9%, Germany at 12%. Um, I could go on a lot more. But my question is to you, um, and you've said that you're not an expert on this, you just follow the science. 
Is there any thinking outside the box from the Isle of Man government, um, going back to what's happened in Idaho now, on the efficacy of the vaccines that you have been promoting on the Isle of Man for people to take? So to get these things out in the first place, there is a lot of work and research that goes on. It's a heavily regulated sector, so we're relying on those people who spend their lives doing this, regulating not just vaccines but all sorts of medication. Uh, that's There is a, a quite a robust system in place to, to do that. That's why these things quite often take take years to get out, out from under the rug. Uh, and that that's really the system and process you rely on. Either you, you trust the process and say, yes, we're confident that drugs generally are produced in, in a safe way or, or we're not and if you're not don't take paracetamol ibuprofen or anything else that's gone through exactly the same process uh, and that's the reality here i'm not an expert in this you're not an expert in this there's no point me doing months of research into it because i will never be able to do the decades of research that these specialists and professionals have done into this uh, it would be a full-time job for me it would be a massive career shift and ultimately i wouldn't be able to do something that i i think i am doing reasonably well so on balance i, I can't see the the value in in trying to replicate things that already exist so in terms of these systems what i would say and i think it is absolutely fair to say is that you're not wrong in terms of vaccines do have uh, side effects every drug has side effects and if people have uh, had side effects or they think they've had side effects from the vaccines there is a system in place called the yellow card scheme which you can report those which means that feedback goes straight back into the system in terms of people like the mhra who do these reviews which will then inform the work that they do on the efficacy of vaccines and that's the work that we ultimately rely on so in some in some ways it is better to be part of these much larger systems these population level systems because as an island we are very small and in in terms of the resource that will be required to do this ourselves i don't think we have that i don't think we have the specialist or the expertise to do that ourselves and equally I don't know what validity it would have with such a small population so I would encourage people if they do have concerns that you think they've had uh, effects of vaccines to make sure they report it through the MHRA yellow card system uh, which you can find on Google it's quite easily accessible uh, because that's the best way for the government over here to make sure we can make the right decisions as you make sure the right information goes into the right people who have the skills and the expertise to assess it in the right way and then they can make recommendations as to what should or shouldn't happen. Okay that's the MR HA yellow card system yeah. okay uh, just a brief final word Dewan uh, yeah I mean there was a, a, a meeting um, a couple of weeks ago with Hugo van Borden um, I think I've got that right um, and one of the vaccine injury group on the Isle of Man I believe um, and he mentioned something about um, some kind of um, study or investigation that could possibly take place um, but we, we have a group of people on the island who um, are reaching out to you um, asking for help on this situation um, and I'm just wondering you know are, are you looking at that I mean you said before about wasting time on, on looking into it and the depth of it and I, I appreciate that um, but um, uh, there was an 11-2 um, majority vote on this going through at Idaho. Um, they feel that it is necessary to um, take this further um, in the, or, or give it to some scientific body to study it further. That's all I'm saying is, you know, is, is the government here thinking outside the box? Because I've not heard anyone mention anything in government about this whatsoever. Uh, so again, uh, the US has a similar system to, to what we use in terms of that, that independent regulatory process. So 
I would expect that it's already gone through the FDA process in the US in order to get validated in the first place. So a bill asking for someone to go and basically do that whole thing again, uh, to my perspective, without knowing more about it, feels more like a stunt than anything that's going to achieve anything. Uh, with the greatest of respects to my legislative colleagues over there in Idaho, I, I don't know enough about why they're doing it or what they're trying to achieve. If we did something similar and said, let's refer it to an expert medical body to make an expert medical decision on whether or not this vaccine is suitable, that's what the MHRA already do and already have done and, and do constantly through these review processes. And so that's why I mentioned that yellow card scheme, because that's the way they get gather data in terms of what is happening out there in the real world after these things are being delivered. So I'm not sure there is, I'm not sure what it would achieve if we try to get another body to try and do the same piece of work that's already constantly kind of ongoing anyway. Okay. All right, Joan, thanks for that. We've got people lining up, so I've got to move on now with Laurie Hooper, MHK, the uh, Minister of the Department of Health and Social Care. I just want to give a big up to uh, Ramsey, by the way. Uh, Ramsey Town Band took third place in the finals of the National Brass Band Championship of Great Britain. Uh, they were in Blackpool, impressed the judges with their rendition of Hungerford Town. So well done to the Ramsey Town uh, Brass Band. Robert Quain's musical director, and well done to Manx Concert Brass, participated in them. They came third as well. So well done to Ramsey Town Band. Joe McGuinness, uh, lead commissioner on finance and general purposes on Monday on Man in Line. Welcome to the fish market at Robinson's, where master smoker Angelo is always busy in our traditional smokehouse, creating the most delicious smoked seafood from the freshest sustainably caught stock. So delicious, we won multiple great taste awards. Follow our Facebook page for all the latest news and offers. The Fish Market at Robinson's, Cool Road, Braddon, a proper fishmonger, where nothing is too much trouble. Get your garden ready for spring with Riley's. Seed potatoes to garden machinery. Get down to Cool Road, Braddon for everything you need and all your pet supplies and bird seed too. Leap into spring with Riley's Garden Centre. Whatever your assets, you want to ensure that they're protected and passed on to the right people in the way you want them to be. Simcox Advocates provide effective solutions when dealing with wills, trusts, powers of attorney, property and foundations. Simcox private client team has a reputation for excellence, rated top tier by independent law directory The Legal 500. Simcox Advocates, advising businesses and families since 1949. Visit Simcox.com. Heard the goss. Some very famous people have been getting cosy at Millie Chaps of Ramsey. Guess who they are, and you could win an incredible bed worth £500. Call in at Parliament Street and see if you can identify the celebs in a bed. Text their names and your name to 166177, starting your message with the word bed. All correct entries will go into the big prize draw, live on Manx Radio at the end of the month. And check out Millie Chaps' extensive bed range at the island's only temper collection studio. Celebs in a bed with Millie Chaps of Ramsey and your nation station, Manx Radio. This week we've been celebrating World Book Day 2023 with Holmes and Davison Opticians by releasing a bedtime story each day. 
as the week draws to a close, we'll be releasing a special Manx language version of tonight's classic bedtime story alongside the original. Run, run, as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. Rai, rai, Otavia's other goo had genu So join me, Kim Quine, over on the Bedtime Story podcast every day this week for a brand new bedtime story with Holmes and Davison Opticians and your nation station, Manx Radio. The Man in Line with Andy Wint. And Laurie Hooper, MHK uh, Minister of the Department of Health and Social Care's on. Tony, you're live with Laurie Hooper. Hi, how you doing, Andy? How you doing, Laurie? Hi there. Uh, I've got one. I've got two questions, in fact. One: Did you realise, um, Mr. Hooper, that Ramsey has five licences for pharmacies, and all are owned by Lloyd's? Therefore, it's a monopoly. It's That's not, the first question. It's not strictly the case. So there's no such thing as a pharmacy license. What happens is you get added onto what's called the pharmaceutical list, uh, and they weren't all issued to Lloyd's. So my understanding is some of them are still owned by the firm that's called GJ Maley's, so it's still theirs. Uh, but Lloyd's obviously acquired all of the firms that, that had these licenses. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. It is a monopoly provision in Ramsey. The, list, the, the pharmaceutical list only has uh, Lloyd's chemists on it at present, which is, the, which is something I'm, I'm trying to get changed through the process we're going through with Max Care to get someone else onto the list, uh, essentially to give them a license who isn't at Lloyd's Pharmacy because I don't think it should be a monopoly. I, I don't know why that was ever allowed to happen in the first place. It isn't something I would have supported at the time, uh, and I don't think monopolies, in general terms, are, are healthy things. Uh, and especially when you're looking at something like this, that's a critical service. I don't think you can be entirely reliant on one provider. No, I agree 100%. So my question is, have the rules within Manx Care, and are they going to be changed so that this can never happen again? Uh, yes, so that's part of the, the work that's going on. So we're looking to change the pharmaceutical regulations to make it clearer about uh, how licences essentially are, are granted, uh, but also about the transfer and sale thereof, because one thing I am nervous about is if we were to grant somebody else a licence today, uh, add them to the list today... Yeah, then Lloyds uh, could buy them. Exactly, and so that's something we're going to work on to make sure that it, it need, would need an, in, in simple terms I think the department should have to approve any transfers of license or transfers of responsibility because I, I would need there needs to be some kind of check and balance that asks the question is Wait. this the right thing for the island and if it is absolutely it's fine it's a marketplace these things happen but if it's not the right thing for the island just like the competition authority in the UK can step in and say you're not having that merger you're not doing this we need the same uh, ability on the island I think yeah I think the issue is a rule that says if you want to, or you take some company over that's got a license, then you need to sell that license to somebody else who is not part of your company. Yeah, there, there are multiple ways I think you could achieve it, but I think the core point is it, it absolutely needs to be in place because I don't think it's just Ramsey that will have this issue. I think there's a risk that it could happen elsewhere in the island as well. We're seeing it happen in Ramsey, and it, that's why I think it's quite visceral for us because we're seeing it every day and we know what the consequences so my, my, are. My question then is when is it going to be changed and when are we going to see a different pharmacy available in Ramsey? So we have run, uh, say we collectively, Banks Care and the Department have run a process uh, to uh, ask for people to 
people who are interested in, in acquiring an, a license and getting added to the list. That process has gone through. My understanding is we're in a, in a period now where they are looking to actually issue uh, something, and that's why I talked earlier about some of this. Hopefully there'll be some news on this within the next either few weeks or, or couple of months, um, really, because we have to work with uh, whoever it was that, that essentially uh, gets the license to make sure it's all handled in the right way. Because what I don't want to do is, is have a big splash about things that are happening if then there are other potential delays or things behind the scenes. So it just needs to be handled in the right way. But I like I'm trying to reassure you that it is absolutely a priority. Things are moving quite quickly uh, and we should see some, some positive news uh, very soon. It's just a case of making sure it's done in the right way. Fantastic. It's good to know that something's being done. It would be really useful if instead of this being behind closed doors and kept to one side, and I don't expect you to publish everything, but we should have some sort of issuance of notices of what we are working on instead of finding out simply by actually asking questions on Manning Line. Yeah, so we, we have published a lot of this already in, in our department plans or the island plans. So a lot of this is, is out there, but I completely appreciate it's not exactly front and centre. Uh, and I think when there is so much going on, it is quite difficult to draw people's attention to stuff that is quite key. Because whilst this issue is really important to you and me, because it, it affects us a lot, uh, it might not be quite as important to other people who want other things front and centre. Uh, so you're right, we need to get better at how we communicate this. Uh, and well, I absolutely agree. I'm sure if the commissioners were brought into it, they'd let everybody know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tony. Take care. All right, good to hear from you. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, just a note in, Grove Mount Dental Practice has offered to take on more patients, but the DOH won't give contracts to other dentists in the practice. Is that right? So there is a, a report, actually, that's just been published by the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee into Dentistry, and it, front page news, I think, the other week. Uh, but in essence, uh, there are a certain number of dental UDAs, so the way that the dental service is paid for is it's basically they get paid for doing a job, and there's a certain amount of money allocated, to that, that money translates into a certain amount of, of UDAs, and those UDAs are all contracted out to dentists. So, in short, so industry jargon, UDA, uh, units of dental activity. Right. Essentially, uh, you know, having uh, having your teeth cleaned might be one point, having your teeth out might be three points, that kind of thing. Um, but essentially, the budget is fully allocated, as I understand it, to existing contracts. So, the question that's being asked is can we make the budget bigger to have more contracts out there? The answer is, well, of course we can, but we have to take the money from somewhere else. And so that's the difficult balancing act we have in the healthcare system at the moment is I would very much like to increase the dental budget because I think it is very much needed. The question then is, uh, what budget do you reduce in order to fund that? Or do you, in fact, have to fund it through other means by increasing charges somewhere else inside the system? And those are conversations which I think we need to start having with the public about saying, well, actually, if you want better services, we are going to have to find a way of paying it. Does that mean we have to talk about taxation? Does that mean we have to talk about some kind of charging system? Things like dentistry, it's relatively simple for because actually we already charge for a lot of that, but it is already unaffordable for a lot of people. And that's the, the other balancing side of things is you can't just put the price up and expect it to, to solve all of your problems. So it's a really complex question. Uh, but I think that the question is absolutely right to be asked is how can we increase the, the dental budget and the number of, of units of activity that are out there? And then how can we make sure they are actually getting delivered as well for patients? Uh, because I think you're right. I've, I've talked to a number of practices who'd be quite happy to take on more work. They'd be quite happy to do more NHS dentistry. But the, the question is, how do we how are we going to fund that? OK, back with Laurie Hooper. Minister at the Department of Health 
and uh, social care in a moment. TGI Fridays, Harry Ramsden's, Greg's, Chiquito. They're each loved for food and enjoyment. And now they've all teamed up with Iceland to bring their famous food direct to you. Piccolino, Yo and many more. All in one place. Shop right in Douglas. So anytime you're craving for what makes them famous, we can help. No defrost, no prep, no waste. Straight from the freezer into the oven. And all at great prices. New exclusive brands only at ShopRite Douglas. Selected products in other stores. You're in the car and you've been circling the car park for what feels like forever. No spaces in sight and the queues are backing up behind you. Then out of the corner of your eye, you spot someone with shopping walking towards you. They gesture that their car is right next to you and the only space is now yours. Woohoo! This is how it feels when you save over £500 versus MT with our broadband home phone and mobile bundle. Start saving at Shaw.com. T's and C's apply. When you need a fitting memorial or headstone for a loved one, contact Manx Memorials in Peel. This long-standing family-run Manx company offer a wide range of granite and marble headstones and memorials, along with an island-wide inscription and renovation service. Manx Memorial's skilled professionals will take the time to help you choose a suitable memorial, and we're proud to say we'll beat other local quotes. Call 843 861 or email Matthew at manxmemorials.co.uk. Got a nice motor to sell? Come and see us. We are number one. We are family run. Mike's Motors. Mike's Motors. At Mike's Motors, we don't just sell nice motors, we buy them too. So if you have a nice camper van, motorhome, car, van or commercial vehicle, we'd love to take a look at it. And if we like it, we'll make you a nice offer. Get in touch. Visit mikesmotors.im or call 823 200. Mike's Motors. That's 823-200. After two weeks on the road, FC Isle of Man return home in the NWCFL Premier Division this weekend, hoping to keep up their recent turnaround in form. The Ravens welcome Winsford United to the bowl on Saturday night, with the Manx side aiming to make it three wins from their last four games. Join me, Rob Pritchard and Tony Meppham for FC Isle of Man versus Winsford United this Saturday, kicking off at 6pm. Manx Radio will be providing full live match commentary on our AM1368 and digital platforms. Live coverage of FC Isle of Man on Manx Radio is supported by Selton investing in our community. The Man in Line with Andy Wint. Pastor Mike, good afternoon. We're live with Laurie Hooper today. And Louise, you're live with the Department of Health and Social Care Minister. Hi. Hi, Mr Hooper. Hi, Louise. Um, Just a question for you, really. In the UK, from the 1st of April next month, beginning next month, women who are prescribed HRT are now going to be able to access a prepay certificate scheme which they will only have to pay a one-off charge, which will cover all of their treatment for the year. And it's going to be, in the UK, £18.70, which they say is the cost of two single prescription charges. I know ours are less on the island. But my question to you is, is that something that will be introduced on the island? So I don't know enough about the specifics to give you an answer, but what I can say is we are looking at prescription charges more broadly uh, at the moment, so there's going to be, there'll be news coming out on that uh, hopefully quite soon. Because at the moment, you can, for prescriptions, you can buy a one-off certificate. Is it £58 yeah, for the year? Yeah, exactly. So it may, it may yeah, very well be. I, and to be fair, that is that is quite, you know, that is half the price as is in the UK. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, I've, I've used that myself, um, but... That's really good price if you're able, if you need other medication, because it will cover you for everything. But this is something that women do not have any say in. 
you know, this is something we only ha- we have to take. We don't have to take, but we only have to take because we're female. And I mean, there's so many um, studies now of saying that how people can really suffer with menopause symptoms which affect so many aspects in your life i mean just speaking from a personal point of view i have been reasonably lucky when i read sort of some of the problems that some people have the worst i had was six months of chronic insomnia you try surviving on one to two hours sleep a night and see how perky you feel at the end of that it got to the point where i couldn't even drive because it didn't even trust my judgment and once i started taking hrt it actually cleared that up in a week. It's not perfect, but I can function now. And that is a very, very common symptom of menopause, you know, apart from anything else, which there are far worse things than that. And I just think it's something that we have no choice in having to take. Well, not doesn't affect everybody. Of course it doesn't. Some people need to, some people don't. But a lot of people have no choice in taking that. And by pure biology, we have to fund this. And I just think if it could be looked at to help women access it, it would it could prevent so many problems in the future. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would agree with you that you know, to be fair, any medical condition just isn't a choice. You know, if you've got diabetes or, or whatever it may be, you've not made a conscious choice to go and go and do that. Uh, but I, so I think the argument you're making is absolutely valid, and it applies across the board. Really, that says, look, if you do need uh, some whatever it may be on prescription, should you be able to find a way of buying it, like the pre- prepayment certificates, to say, and it should be covered by that certificate. My my view is it should actually. There are lots of medical exemptions that don't make a lot of sense, uh, but actually the income exemption is, is one that really does make sense because if you are if you are low income and you can't afford that five pound a month for the the prepayment certificate well actually maybe we should be helping people in that respect and mm-hmm. maybe other things should be covered by the certificate that currently aren't and this is all the work that we're looking at, at the but moment. this is starting in 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 the uk in april how much you say it is louise 18 pounds um yeah they're saying it's the cost of two um two items which i know is is it, it's definitely less over here at, okay, at the right. moment. And is it something that the, the department would look at? Like I say, it's not something that's that, that I've come across myself yet, but I'll, I'll happily take it away and have a look well, into it yeah. as part of the work. I, I don't have any objections to doing that at all. Good. Well, we've opened the dialogue. Louise, thanks for calling today. That, I really appreciate that. Uh, with Laurie Hooper MHK, one of the Ramsey MHKs, and I got a message in uh, from, uh, I don't know, this is Graham, uh, who emailed this from Bryden, said, I have watched Mr. Hooper's career in over the past uh, 10 or more years and he tells me in 2011 in the general election you came fifth out of six with 310 votes in 2016 you came second with 1471 and you topped the poll in 2021 with 1657 he just says what does mr hooper think he's doing right with the electorate <laughs> that's a really good question did you know that uh, did, well did obviously i am i'm aware i, I I've got to look at the numbers in front of me. I'm glad someone is keeping count. Thank you very much for that. Uh, generally, my ap- approach from day one has simply been to just try and be honest with people and uh, and, and just do the job that I'm elected to do. And, and that can be difficult sometimes because I, I have had some quite robust conversations with constituents when they're not happy with uh, decisions I've made or things I've supported. But ultimately, you know, it's my job to do the best thing, I think, for, for everybody. And, and really, I think when I ran in 2021, 20, the approach I took was to say, look, this is the things I said I was 
going to do. These are the things I did. This is what I'd like to do. Uh, you, you see, you see what you get basically, and, and take it as it comes. And if you don't like the, my approach, if you don't like the things I'm, I'm trying to do, please, please vote for somebody else because I'm not gonna, the kind of person who's going to going to kind of give way and change my views just because someone is shouting loudly at me. It's, and I've just felt generally just be straight with people and people are straight with you and, and you mentioned tax earlier on um, would you be happy to put tax up on the Isle of Man for a better Manx care system personally I would uh, and I actually talked to a lot of constituents about this when I was out canvassing and I think a lot of people had a very similar view which was we'd be we'd be collectively I think happy to pay a bit more provided we knew it was being ring fenced for something like healthcare. I don't think a general uh, price rise is what people were, were getting at it's not something I really talked about but I did very specifically talk about things like free personal care in terms of nursing and residential care like they mm. have in Scotland that would cost money uh, but ultimately I think it's the right thing to do because the current system we have is, is really unfair for a, a lot of reasons okay. I don't have time to get into All right. Very briefly, do you think the rich should pay more? Yeah, proportionate systems of taxation are, are something that I'm very much behind. Uh, you'll have seen in the budget this year, um, Dr. Alex Allenson brought forward a proposal to taper off the personal allowance at the top end of, of the income scale. That's something I first suggested to Treasury in 2016 after my election. Uh, I've been writing to Treasury every year saying you should do this because proportionate taxation is much more fair than, than the flat rates that we currently have. So I'd be very, I'm very much in favour of people paying a fair share. OK, uh, thanks for being with us today. We no, appreciate very it. Much. Good thanks to talk to you. Laurie Hooper, MHK, with us today. And more Ramsey on Monday. Joan McGuinness, lead Ramsey Commissioner on Finance and General Purposes. Next Wednesday, Theresa Cope will be on Man in Line with Claire Bader from the Western Wellbeing Partnership and Gary Lord from the Northern Wellbeing Partnership. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Paul Moran on the phone. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a great weekend. W. I. N.